0: My name is Jasmine Nicole, and I am your host of Seasoned Crime. This is the podcast where you come if you want to hear a story about a minority. I'm going to tell you stories about those who may have fell back into the shadows. Every person that is highlighted on this show is in one way or another a minority. This is the podcast for the underdogs. This story is about those who fall into a protected class. How's everyone's mental health doing this week? I know we took a mental health break last week and did a non-violent story, and I thought it was a good way to take a little breather from all the craziness that is surrounding everyone else. This week, uh, I am in a better headspace, so I am going to bring you a story that's more in line with what we're used to hearing on this show we have entered June, which is the month to celebrate pride. I have always been a huge ally for the LGBTQ community. And I don't know, I just believe so much in people being happy. I have seen good love and I've seen bad love in both of those I have seen from couples that are heterosexual as well as couples that are homosexual. And on top of all that, the world's already gone to shit. So if you can find someone that makes you happy, genuinely happy, and it just so happens that it comes from someone of the same sex, go for it. I literally live by the motto, if you like it, I love it. For the first time since 2020, put the world on pause. Many cities, including Dallas, are also celebrating Pride and having their Pride parades again this year. So for today's story, I wanted to acknowledge Pride Month and tell you all a story that honors a member of that community. This is one of those stories where I don't care what side of the fence you stand on in regards to members of the community. I feel that by the end of this story, you will be able to admit that no matter gay, straight, bi, whatever, this isn't right. Today, I'm going to tell you about the death of Michael J. Sandy. October 12, 1977, Michael was born to Denise and Ezekiel Sandy. Our story is going to start with Michael at the age of 20 years old. He worked as an Ikea employee who was a display designer. Now that we have a little bit of information about Michael out of the way, let me tell you about how he died. October 8th of 2006, Michael was on his computer. For those of us millennials, just think back to the MySpace era. This was before everyone had a cell phone in their hands and they actually sat at home on their computers. Michael was in an online chat room and he exchanged emails with someone that he had met by the name of Anthony Fortunato, who was 20 years old. And Anthony was with a friend of his, 19-year-old John Fox. The emails that were exchanged were of a sexual nature and they talked about them all meeting up to have sex. They messaged each other for about an hour before it got to the point that they agreed to actually meet up. They decided on Plum Beach, which is near a rest stop in Brooklyn, on Belt Parkway Sheep's Head Bay. Anthony and John left their place and went towards the meetup spot. On their way, they met up with their friends, Elias Shrove, who was 20, and 17-year-old Gary Timmons. Michael made his way up to the spot in his 2004 Honda. The first person that Michael met up with was John. John was alone when Michael met him and then they drove to Howard Beach and it was there where Anthony, Elia, and Gary were all waiting. Now I'm going to pause for a minute here and I'm going to say I'm not sure if at this point Michael knows that he's been set up or if they carry this one out up until the moment of the attack. Either way, this is where things go left. When Michael pulled up to the desired location, witnesses say that they saw two white men go up to the car. Those men confronted Michael and then started going through and looking around his car. One of the men pulled Michael from the car and started punching him. According to witnesses, this was about 9:45 p.m. that evening, so it was pretty dark outside. Michael managed to get out of his car, and he took off running towards the highway. Again, he was just running, trying to get away. He didn't really have any direction of where he was going. He just knew he needed to get away from where he was. Michael got to the highway, and he made it to the right lane of the highway before two of the men had caught up to him and just started punching him. Michael was again able to get free, and... Again, keep in mind, he is literally on the highway right now at 9.45 p.m. So on the highway in the dark. So Michael, when he got free, he started backpedaling again, trying to get away from the situation. And when he backpedaled, he went to the middle lane of the highway. And it was there that he was struck by an oncoming SUV. SUV. The driver of that SUV has never been identified and it is positive that that driver of the SUV truly had no intentions of hitting Michael. Michael just was in the middle of the highway. After Michael was hit, one of the men then drug his body over to the side of the highway. To add even more to this already disgusting event... A witness say that they saw the men go through Michael's pockets before they ran off. The police were immediately called by the witnesses and police were immediately called to the scene. Michael wasn't dead, but he wasn't conscious and he had multiple brain injuries. He was taken to Brookdale Hospital and placed on a ventilator. He was taken to Brookdale Hospital and placed on a respirator. The police wanted to know what happened and why. So they started investigating everything. Part of what they wanted to know is what caused Michael and the other men to be out where they were in the first place. They went to Michael's house and they looked around to see if they could find anything at all that would lead them to where they should start. In the search of the home, they found Michael's computer, which was still running, and so it had on there whatever he was doing before he left. It hadn't been touched since then. The username of the person that Michael was chatting with was Fishy Fox. They traced the IP address and the name of who. They were able to trace the IP address, and that led them to a person by the name of John Fox. John Fox. The police go to John's house that same evening, and John isn't there, but John's dad is there. And he says that they wouldn't find John here at the home. If they were really looking for John, they would need to head over to SUNY, Maritime College. That's where John was attending as a sophomore. They headed to the school, and by the time they found John, it was about 2 a.m. in the morning. But they asked John to go ahead and come with him to the 61st Precinct. John came and around 2.52 a.m. he was there and being interviewed by the police. John gave police quite a bit to go on. He implicated all of the men who played a part in the attack. During the time that he was giving his interview, he made two videotaped statements and that confession included multiple mentions of the quote-unquote Russian kid. Cops had no idea who this was, but it didn't take long for them to figure it out. After a search of John's MySpace, they found a picture of who they were sure was the Russian kid, and then that picture was compared to a picture of the mug shots that they had had of people who had been brought into the 61st Precinct. They got a match, and once they were sure that they had the right person, they went over to the home looking for Ilya. Once they were sure that they had the right person, the cops went over to the home of Ilya, asking him to come to the 60th Precinct for questioning. This was still about 8 p.m. that same evening that they picked up John. Ilya got to the station, and he was read his Miranda rights. Ilya also gave a statement, and he did implicate himself in the crime as well. The cops showed him a news report of the crime, but when they did, he spoke to specific details disputing the information that the news reporter had mentioned. Ilya gave his statement, and that rolled over into the next day. By 1 p.m., they had put together a written statement, and he had already done a video statement a few hours prior to that. Later in the day, both Ilya and John were identified in a lineup. Gary would also be arrested that same day. A few days later, October 13th, five days after the crime occurred, things went from bad to worse. Just one day after Michael's 29th birthday, his family made the heart-wrenching decision to remove him from life support. He had never regained consciousness since the incident. The police weren't finished, though. They were still looking for one more person. Once they got statements from everyone else, they were able to piece together that Anthony was the final guy that they were looking for. They put the word out, and Anthony ended up turning himself in to the police October 25th. Anthony's family was positive that he would be given bail, so they raised $1.3 million to use for him, but when the time came, his bail was denied. After digging and reviewing the statements of all the men, it was believed that this was not the first time that this group had used the internet to lure gay men to a meeting location of their choice. The trial for Anthony and John started in 2007 in a New York courtroom. They were charged with two counts of second-degree murder, and one of those being a hate crime, four counts of attempted robbery, two of those being a hate crime, two counts of manslaughter, one of those being a hate crime, and two assault counts, with one as a hate crime. The defense did their job, and they asked that all of the charges be dropped completely. They insisted that the men never presented any signs of hatred towards gay men specifically. Anthony's lawyer even argued that there was no way that Anthony would single out a man just for being gay because Anthony himself was gay. The prosecution, on the other hand, said that singling Michael out because he was gay was exactly what had happened. They spoke about all four men playing a part, but John stood out, because he was there every single step of the way. John was the one who provided the screen name that put all of this in motion. He was the first one who Michael met up with alone before the other guys were introduced. And John was identified by witnesses as the one who chased Michael on the highway. John would end up being found guilty and charged with manslaughter, attempted robbery in the second degree, and attempted robbery in the first degree. All of them were classified as hate crimes, with the times of each ranging from 5 to 50 years. John's dad was at court the day the verdict was read, and outside of the court he spoke to reporters and offered his deepest regrets to Michael's parents, who were also there as well. John's father was quoted as saying, If I could arrange for their son to be alive, and for me to be dead, I'd do so. A few days later, Anthony's verdict came in and he was found guilty of manslaughter as a hate crime. What about the other men though? Gary? Well, he had already pled guilty. About a year prior to John and Anthony's trial, Gary agreed to a deal. He would plead guilty and attempted robbery as a hate crime. And in return, Gary agreed to testify the prosecution. Ilya's trial was set to start at a later date. Before Ilya's trial could happen, there was a vigil that was held for Michael at Plum Beach, the area where Michael was supposed to meet up with the other guys. Michael's parents attended the vigil and they spoke out about their son. Michael's dad, Ezekiel, said, he was something special. There are many nights that I don't sleep. Many days I just walk around, but you give me a lot of strength. His mom, Denise, said, quote, justice is being done, and I'm thankful for that. We don't want this tragedy to happen to anyone else, End quote. November 5th was the day that Ilya's trial was supposed to start. However, the trial never happened. That morning, Ilya pled guilty to manslaughter and attempted robbery, both as hate crimes. Part of the plea bargain is that they would drop the charge of felony murder as a hate crime. Ilya agreed to 17 and a half years, which compared to the life sentence that he could have faced if he went to trial, I guess he made the right choice. The reason Ilya was the one facing a life sentence is because he was the only one of the four men who was accused of physical violence against Michael? Later that month, the men were sentenced. And at the sentencing, Anthony spoke to Michael's parents, saying, quote, I acted like a coward. I turned and walked away, and I abandoned your son, Michael. And I abandoned my conscience. End quote. Michael's mom read her own statement out loud at the sentencing and part of her statement spoke to how she forgave the men for the act that most would find unforgivable. All of the men would be sentenced to slightly less time than the maximum sentence. Anthony, who is twenty-one now, was sentenced to twenty-one years. John, now twenty, was sentenced to between thirteen to twenty-one years. And Ilya, who was now twenty-one, was given the 17 and a half years that he agreed to in his plea deal. Gary was also sentenced at a later date than the other guys. Because he had pled out so early, and because he testified, his was a bit different, and he was sentenced to only four years. As of today, everyone has been released, and is back out into the world. (sighs) Hmm. You know, I can't say for sure if their intentions were to kill Michael, but either way, they sought him out, they lured him to a location, and the only reason that that happened is because Michael was gay. Then to know that these men have already served their time and they're back out into the world, while Michael will never get that opportunity again. We can all agree that this world is a shitty place on its own, so why add to it just because you don't like or agree with someone else's lifestyle? I've mentioned it before on this show, and I'll say it again and again and again, but I just cannot comprehend why who someone else chooses to love bothers so many people why are you mad that someone else found their happiness just because it doesn't look like your definition of happiness? I'm not going to go into a tangent on this one, but I will just end by saying happy pride, everybody. As usual, I appreciate you for listening to today's story and today's episode. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Seasoned Crime is the handle. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to the show. Leave a comment on Apple Podcasts. Let me know how I'm doing. Let me know what you like. Let me know what you don't like. I'd love to hear from all of you guys. If you have any story suggestions, please feel free to send those along to me and I can make sure to look into those as well. Thank you for listening again and I'll be back next week with another story about a minority. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Season Crime. Today's episode was researched, edited, and recorded by your host, Jasmine Nicole.